Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I'm Timothy Swan. And I'm Ben Fell. And together we are going to be discussing the funny side of psychology. That's right. We're back again being the intrepid marauders of the brain and the psyche that you know and maybe love. At least like. Hopefully like. <laughs> you, feel, you feel somewhat warmly towards. Those fellows you know and tolerate. <laughs> uh, it's been, been a bit strange to say, I'm Timothy Swan, without following up with the line, and that means only the Queen is allowed to kill, cook and eat me. <laughs> I love that line. That was such a good line. Um, we'll come back to that later. Yeah, so yes, so. welcome to episode seven or eight, eight. of the Psychomedia podcast. I was thinking... Uh, I should start referring to them as the uh, as not taking into account the Franken podcast, and you should carry on referring to them taking into account the Franken podcast just to confuse everyone. Well, that, that's fine because it means more effort for you than for me. Because <laughs> I can just use the proper numbering system that's in our mm. filing system and upload and whatever. We have you have to remember system. how many Franken podcasts we've had. This is true, uh, which is difficult given that I generally have nothing to do with them. <laughs> Um, you're, occasion- so yes. you're occasionally featured in them. <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Wow, off to a really good start. I think you're in I would think you're in the Franken podcast more than I was, but basically that was because I'd forgot to edit out one of my studies, and otherwise we would have been perfectly balanced. All of your stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I do make you do the editing, so it's only fair. Anyway, this week we are talking about uh, neuropsychology and neuroanatomy and the brain and specifically some real classic studies uh, or classic cases of brain damage which are, have found, formed the basis of an awful lot of what psychology is today. Yeah, uh, you might have heard of some of them. I expect you'll have heard at least one of them. Mm. Uh, and hopefully by the end you'll get an appreciation of their sense in history and kind of how weird things were back in the early days of trying to look at the brain. The brains. Yeah. It also, um, probably full disclosure at this early stage, I don't know about you, but generally our research for these things involves, you know, going on, going on some journals that, uh, we have, ac- that I have access to through the university, some kind of slightly obscure sources this week, the like almost all of my research has been done via Wikipedia. There's very little that you can't find out very easily with like a Google search about these guys. But we're putting it all together in a nice auditory, like ear-sized bite for you. Um, I don't know about you, Tim. Maybe you did some no, like no, prim- I'm primary analysis. I'm pretty similar. <laughs> Similarly lazy. And <laughs> <laughs> Similarly taking advantage of doing a nice easy episode after yeah. the... Uh, travail that was last week yeah that was that was troublesome no, so, i yeah. think it was good i haven't listened to it yet no me neither. but you know who <laughs> has listened to our show ben who's listened to our show tim surprisingly enough our listeners oh of oh, those guys i uh, love those guys yeah yeah well you know they they seem to like us too let's talk about some feedback we should we should talk about feedback have you got some feedback this week tim uh yes i have some feedback uh you might remember a couple of weeks back we talked about a guy who was using a tool called rss mix to listen to us well that guy has a name and it's <gasps> quite a good one as well what's his, his name? name is franz van bellen and franz he is van from the Bellen. netherlands good although name, he franz may van live Bellen. in america okay um but he might I, i'm i'm not 100 percent sure but yeah he left a comment on our site that's psychomedia.wordpress.com um saying <laughs> plug 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 oh wow i had no idea you could track back 
your podcast to my RSS mix, I now feel extra awesome and cool for being anonymously mentioned. Well, <laughs> you're even more extra awesome and cool for being non-anonymously mentioned. Non-anonymous. Ano- anonymity no longer. Everyone knows who you are and they're watching you. As are we. Omnominous. <laughs> Omnominous. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, yeah, basically the chain of events that he describes that lead to this uh, is he played Kingdom of Loathing. Uh, he then listened to KOL Radio. He then listened to the Hot Dog Network of podcasts. Then listened to uh, Zach on Overthinking It. He then listened to me on Overthinking It. And now he is listening to Psychomedia right now. We know that you are doing it right now, Franz. A series of unfortunate events. And like Yeah, me. you there listening to the podcast. We know what you're doing. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> uh, as with many of our feedbackers, uh, our backfeeders. Um, I prefer backfeeders. <laughs> <laughs> this will henceforth be known as the backfeeder section. <laughs> where we where we feed the backers. Uh, yeah. Um, that he has made a request for us to cover a topic of psychology, somewhat limited Ooh. one. He wants us to cover uh, the psychology of seal clubbing. Oh, and uh, actually, okay. he, he might well be surprised at the research <laughs> that we could bring to bear on that. I've certainly had one that's come straight to mind that oh, yeah. set us up for something to do for next week. Okay, let's let's add that to the list. In <laughs> uh, uh, other feedback, uh, this week. I, for some reason, decided to look at the podcast charts, uh, ah. comedy, uh, and when I looked at the UK one and saw that we weren't on it, I decided to try some other countries. Not quite <laughs> sure why, and why it went this way round. Well, you don't have much to do these days. <laughs> your face. Which is <laughs> a lie. But, a uh... for once. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so f- I, I, you know, went to the obvious Anglophone countries, nothing there even in <laughs> tiny tiny new zealand or tiny tiny canada <laughs> yeah canada i'm calling you small despite psychologically patently... <laughs> we have Sorry, a lot of canada <laughs> don't say that they'll get you with their stereotypes and their bears yeah well that's <laughs> anyway <laughs> they do love bears but um frequently eventually i got to the portuguese ah pop comedy podcasts and for at least a day or so last week, we were there <laughs> in the top 100 or 120 podcasts in Portugal. That is statistically significant. Shut up, it is. <laughs> well, uh, I, I had a quick look at our analytics because uh, why not? <laughs> Do you know how many Portuguese listeners we have, Ben? Uh, is it a number between zero and one? <laughs> <laughs> If you include the uh, the bounds, then yes. Okay. This is one. We have one Portuguese listener. Please get in touch. We want to give you a Love lot of respect yeah. for getting us on the chart. Let us let me tell you, some of the people we were bigger than that I was excited about, we were bigger than Frankie Boyle. We were bigger than Dave Gorman. We were bigger than Frank Skinner. We were bigger than Russell Brand. Was there I- a... Uh, you actually you actually linked me that page and I found some of the other podcasts that I particularly liked that we were I wasn't sure if we were bigger than but we were definitely on the same less list as particularly um the best of Chris Moyles which is an oxymoron um <laughs> something called old Jews telling jokes uh, well, the bugle away from that <laughs> the bugle was on there so props to you guys love you guys uh, something called Explicit Biscuit, which <laughs> was something I thought that was played in um, public school, but possibly something else. Oh, um, Dr. Cockney, international sex therapist. 
Yeah, uh, I've seen him cropping up around the web near us quite a few times. I have a feeling he's stalking us. <laughs> That's kind of frightening. Uh, the John Cleese podcast and Lesbian Mafia. Uh, so, yeah. What, I cannot uh, think of a terrible joke to that. <laughs> I'll get back to you next week, but it will probably be something about the Camorra or something that only makes <laughs> sense if you really know your uh, mafias from each other. Mafias, and you know your mafias and you know your lesbians. Anyway, uh, yeah, so esteemed company um in portugal yeah and while we're thinking about our amazing international success our amazing international audience that is um we managed to get a couple of downloads or a few downloads in new zealand which i hadn't noticed before it's uh quite impressive so i thought oh that's cool new zealand it must be the southernmost country in the world and canada that must be the northernmost country in the world but being a scientist i went and checked <laughs> And I shouldn't have done. I should have just. But seen. not a geographer, and not <laughs> just knowing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that we could find some geographers who had no idea. <laughs> Apparently, map projections are lies, uh, and if you exclude Antarctica, the country with the lowest point on the world is Chile. New Zealand ah. is only the fourth southernmost country in yeah, the world. Suck that, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, well, they're good at rugby, so. You know, I think they have the thing they want. So what I would like... They are now objectively good at rugby as opposed to previously when they were just hypothetically good at rugby. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Finally proven by science. (laughs) Um, But uh, what I would uh, like is for us to have a a Chilean listener. Um, I know that it's unlikely. It Uh, is pretty unlikely. I mean, I mean, I'm not sure. It's it's kind of one in a Chilean. I'm just <laughs> grown. <laughs> you know when something cripples uh, you so badly that you can't even react emotionally? <laughs> That's what just happened. You've got, you've got pun shock. Um, um, so yeah, if any of our listeners know any Chileans who are in Chile, yeah. tell them about the podcast. And even if they don't speak that. English. <laughs> uh, I, uh, have, I have yeah, done something on. towards that. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> only you only you would would come up with something like this that you want and then take active steps towards achieving it this is why i have had all the achievements in my life <laughs> by not seeing things as implausible or ridiculous <laughs> and, and saying nothing <laughs> so what i did do was i put us on a chilean podcast directory ah we're in quite a few podcast directories could you, now could you Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I was going to say, could you put us on some non-Chilean podcast yeah, well, directories? Digital uh, podcast is one that I've done, and they've actually given us a few links. They're definitely the one that has been most successful thus, thus far. I think there's one called Podcaster Blaster. I think they've done a good job as well. Okay. I love that in your northern accent. That's wonderful. I don't have a northern accent. You call it Blaster. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to try and do a northern accent. I have a Midlands accent. Ah, uh, yes. Might be north of you. It's not north in general. <laughs> not uh, that I don't want to be northern, but it's just the Midlands needs its cultural identity. Yeah, uh, yes, let me tell you some interesting things that people have searched for to find Psychomedia. There's a lot of obvious ones. A lot of people spelling Psychomedia with two M's, uh, which might be my fault for the whole psychology comedy media thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you type in Psychomedia with two M's podcast, you still get us. But yes, people looking for Strack et al. That's the pen in the teeth study. Okay. Science. Well, that's uh, good. People who searched for Memory Systems of the Brain by Weinberger, which okay. is a book where the Weisskranst skewering of Squire comes from. Okay. These people have been searching for these serious psychological studies 
and they found us. Well, that's I think that's brilliant. I think if anything, if if we can distract any genuine kind of scholars from their you know hard work for an hour or more often two hours, <laughs> then uh, then that is that is like job done. Like brilliant, excellent. Well, yeah, that's what basically I'm doing to you every week, isn't it? Arresting the cause of psychology. <laughs> uh, oh, good. Well, that's cool. That's cool news. Yeah. Uh, any other feedback from you? One final bit of feedback from me, uh, and that is we had a review, which again, I noticed because I went through all of the countries uh, <laughs> of our podcast on the American version of iTunes. Uh, wow. USA tunes. No. <laughs> we're uh, we're we're breaking the atlantic market that's cool uh yeah this fellow i think is an I like the beatles uh, yeah british invasion <laughs> um and the review says the best psychology slash humor crossover podcast on itunes well thanks for the specificity oh um, yeah do you like you some cheeky british psychologists if so <laughs> listen to this podcast they will make your brain laugh about the brain Touching on topics from the history of psychology to more recent developments, the show provides solid informational tidbits focused through the crisp wit of Timothy Swan, <laughs> overthinking it at Monkey on My Back podcasts, and Ben Fell. Yes, now, you got my name is, right. Yeah, that is a syntactically ambiguous sentence. <laughs> I think it means the crisp wit of us both. But so. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the commas, and I would thank you not to mention them. Um, well, crisp wit was is nice. I, I don't think I would have described these podcasts as being particularly crisp, especially not last week when the internet was playing up. But um, yeah, thank you for the review. What a lovely review! Yes, thank, thank you, you person you. on awesome. American awesome. iTunes. <laughs> um, you might have a real name. I haven't looked it up. Uh, but yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, and. Yeah, anyone who wants to give us a review on iTunes, no matter what it says, do it. And if you do, just click a number of stars. That's super helpful. Still haven't got any science to back that up yet because I am lazy slash busy. Right. What about However, you? However, um, I actually, I so you, you that all that all that feedback was, you know, it was good. It was good. I mean, I got real actual face to face feedback uh, from a, a person in college the other day i i was in uh, our quad and someone came up to me in college a guy called david and he said he was really looking forward to the next podcast and that it was awesome and all this stuff which was really nice uh this is you know not a particularly uncommon occurrence but i thought i'd mention it because um uh, apropos of essentially nothing i felt that i should point out that this is another person to add to the list of people who are better at cross-dressing than tim uh so which david is this well, I'm not going to give his name on the air, am I? Can you a give David. an identifier that I would understand and our listeners wouldn't? Some of our listeners would, um, <laughs> but uh, probably something along the lines of "I am your father." No, too oblique. Okay, well, I'll, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, what have you done this week, Tim? Assuming that that is all of the feedback and cryptic references to people in college out the way. Yeah, too cryptic for me. Uh, <laughs> you can give me clues throughout the show and then give me some kind of prize if I get it in a lower number of clues. <laughs> okay, this week's competition. Guessing who the uh, adept crossdresser and podcast listener is. <laughs> <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please. Uh, yeah, um, well, I had two job interviews and one stand-up comedy audition, and they did not come in a helpfully separate order. <laughs> wow. They were, they were spaced, equispaced, by two days. 
Thursday, I had a job interview, which was one of the most intense, if not the most intense interview of my life. Hmm. I'm think I used to think it was my interview for Oxford, uh, which was pretty intense. Hmm. Uh, was yours intense? Well, I, I suppose it might have been, but the problem is, subsequent to that, I had an interview for my PhD uh. position, which uh, our Oxford interview was one on one with a tutor. Um, my PhD or uh, interview was me against four, uh, one of whom uh, is renowned for being like thoroughly dismissive and unhelpful, and was up to a point. Uh, Professor Simon Cowell. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Actually, surprising similarities there. Actually, we'll try and work out which of the other X Factor slash Britain's Got Talent judges the rest of that interviewing panel were. Uh, right, I'll do that while you tell us about your okay. uh, interviews. <laughs> so yeah, but it, it it went well that interview, and then I had the stand-up comedy audition. You can see a video uh, online, I'll put a link in the show notes, in which you can see me laughing at some of the other people's jokes. Flagrant self-promotion. <laughs> well, it's not, because none of my comedy is in there, so it's really promoting my rivals. <laughs> um, apparently they've been playing bits on the radio this week, but their show is 6 till 10, and I'm not normally up for three hours of that. Uh, so I'm hoping for a call saying that I did well and got through to the next round, which would be five out of the 12 competitors will get through and they get to do a slot at a genuine comedy night in the town of droitwich um so i'd love to get that far you know i don't think i'll win there was a couple of guys who were just so experienced and almost professional that they deserve to win okay but part of it was about looking at potential so Mm. i'm hoping that i demonstrated potential i basically did the material that i demonstrated last week apart from with the changed first joke because i didn't know if i was going to have a microphone or not (laughs) uh yeah, they kind of they kind of messed us around. They said that there wouldn't be an audience apart from the judges. So I didn't bother bringing any of my friends or companions. Your posse. Yeah, basically my parents. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, anyone I else was, I could have... I was going to say your hoes, so... <laughs> I'm glad I got in there first, but... <laughs> but I still ruined it. <laughs> Great. Uh, you insult my family. <laughs> I put a horse's head somewhere near you. But... Uh, that's two different films, isn't it? I don't know. Is it The Godfather where he talks about you would come here and you insult my family? I don't know, but I feel like the track is that we were meant to be on is rapidly disappearing over the horizon. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> We've just taken a shortcut. I thought it was like, you know, in Wallace and Gromit where they're trying to lay down the track while the train is oncoming. <laughs> that, that That's is, what podcasting is That is the is perfect like. analogy for podcasting. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, you could bring a supporter. So the audience was... All of the other competitors, a couple of their like wives and or husbands, and then one guy had brought about six or seven people with him. Wow. So it was a bit of a biased audience. I mean, people were fair and the other comedians were really friendly and we all kind of supported each other and appreciated each other. Oh, um, nice. We didn't like do deliberate stony face silence to try and influence the judges. It wasn't like mock the week. Well, I don't know what it's really like there. You know, I, I've often said that doing the Overthink Hit podcast is a bit like Mock the Week. Not because everyone hates each other, but because when you get an opportunity, you really have to jump on it. Mm. Because there's enough people with enough good ideas at any one point that you kind of have to grab and go for each other. And there's the occasional, no you, no you, no you, like <laughs> there is at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> That's because we're so in sync, man. We don't we need are. that. We are like, uh, in sync. We so are, yeah, I had another interview. I'll just tell you one thing about the second interview. The second interview was at a 
place where they actually do the support work with people with cognitive difficulties. Ah. Cognitive difficulties is a very vague term, so I had literally no idea what to expect. I went up and I uh, knocked on the door or rang the doorbell and someone answered it. And, you know, she was clearly uh, a disabled uh, person in some way. But as you should all know, you, you never know what to expect in that situation. Someone who is disabled can be disabled in one very specific way or lots of different ways or what. So I was like, hi, I'm here for the interview. And she beckoned me in and led me through to a room. And I thought, OK, that's, this is going quite well. <laughs> so I tried to say, oh, yeah, um, you know, thanks for letting me in. Uh, you know, are you going to be sitting in on the interview? She didn't really answer me. After a couple of minutes of somewhat awkward silence, uh, the uh, support worker came in and said, sorry, I've just been in the loo. Oh, I see that uh, she has let you in. Uh, I'm glad she did that, but you must have been a bit freaked out because she doesn't really speak. She knows about four words. She understands everything you say, pretty much. But yeah, she wouldn't have spoken to you. I was like, well, that's a relief in a way because it means that I wasn't just being horribly mistaken yeah also doesn't coming doesn't coming that... into this house anyway <laughs> yeah what have you done ben have you watched a film i have watched a film uh last night uh in fact i went to go and see tintin or tantan tantan the adventures of tantan the secret of the unicorn um the secret of the unicorn being that it's a horse with uh, a narwhal strapped to its face really um, Oh, uh, me like that. You know, New College in Oxford has a unicorn horn that's actually a narwhal horn. That's pretty awesome. Uh, no, you should go and see it sometime. I, I, I have a theory about narwhals. Um, do you want to hear my theory? It's a zoological <laughs> theory. Okay, go ahead. So I have Let's a theory make about, Darwin cry. I have a theory about narwhals and walruses and um, symbiotic evolution. So narwhals have the long pointy horn and walruses have the two tusks. And they yes. both live in like a similar aquatic environment. I think what happens is when narwhals use the horn to like skewer something, they then get that. I mean, they they have kind of small flippers, so they wouldn't be able to get it off the horn. So (laughs) they would be swimming around with like a like a penguin or a seal or something stuck there or a person stuck to their horn or like a grapefruit. And they're kind of screwed because it's stuck and it's kind of unwieldy. So they will seek out a walrus and then the walrus will use its tusks kind of like a claw hammer pulling a nail out of a door (laughs) and they will use it like between them to get the thing off. And I I imagine there's some sort of like agreement whereby the walrus gets to keep whatever it is that it pulls off the the narwhal's horn or something. (laughs) I mean, although it must be said the narwhal's horn is kind of, it's got that weird sort of spiral pattern. So possibly the narwhal would need to be, need to be turned whilst removing the thing from the horn. Like, it's a bit like a, a corkscrew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a, exactly like a corkscrew, and it would make a loud pop when it came out the other end. So what we're saying is that all narwhals are, arco- are alcoholics. They're <laughs> Arctic alcoholics who love champagne. Um, anyway, anyway, <laughs> that's my theory about narwhals and waters. Any zoologists listening, please write in and confirm. Uh, <laughs> yes, if you don't confirm it, we will both cry. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I wanted to say about Tintin it's an amazing film, go see it, it's really really good um, this is perhaps unsurprising and ki- it's kind of unfair in a way, this is a film directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Peter Jackson, written by Stephen Moffat Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish and has Weta Workshop doing the CGI like Peg the lineup like that R. Thompson is, and Thompson. Yeah, how is anyone meant to compete I mean other production teams might as well just like pack up and go home. How how are you meant to compete with that? I mean, and it's possible for each of them to individually mess up. 
but you know, yeah, Spielberg it, has Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Peter Jackson has the Lovely Bones. Peg and Frost has Paul. Uh, they really, they really don't. And seriously, like the set pieces. I was going on and on about this uh, afterwards. The set pieces are literally jaw dropping. Seriously, like my jaw dropped. I, I, okay. I got a really sore draw jaw. So, <laughs> I'll have to go thanks, see Steven Spielberg in, in the cinema next time. The, make something less awe inspiring because my jaw. The less, last animated film that I saw with the really good set pieces was Rango. Rango is amazing. Rango is really good. Um, yeah, no, I was stunned by how much I enjoyed it. Um, especially yeah. the bit where they, there is an actual good reference to Fear and Loathing. I was like, I bet there's going to be one. I bet there's going to be one. And my parents like, there won't be one. Like, no, I bet there's going to be one. And I was right. It massively was. Anyway, so I, I watched Tintin and it was really good. Uh, uh, not particularly psychological, but there it is. Um, the only other thing that I did this week was started a course um, at the hospital on uh the physics of magnetic resonance imaging mri which is fascinating and very interesting um i enjoyed it slightly less than i probably should have done because the first session uh was when i was ill with a cold i was feeling dreadful i had to get up oh i'm sorry uh i should have cleaned the microphone Uh, (laughs) i had to get up at seven o'clock in the morning to get a bus to the hospital uh, and was just like utterly uninspired. And the first class was on like we, they were teaching us about like imaginary numbers, Fourier analysis, and quantum physics, which is right. kind of hardcore for the first uh, class and with a cold. And I felt really guilty at the time as well because I was going to the hospital and knowingly with a cold <laughs> in the children's ward as well. And just like, why were they doing it in the children's? Well, no, ward? they weren't doing it in the children's ward. They like it was next door and we had to go through the children's ward. Oh, anyway, okay. So basically, you know, I was I was grumpy, ill and guilty. And I essentially felt like the monkey at the beginning of 28 days later. Um, <laughs> each feel a little bit guilty. So that's what that was the other thing I did this week. I was deliberately leaving a gap to make it really, really obvious that we're going to do such a brutal segue. <laughs> this is going to be a belabored segue. Well, it's not that belabored. You're using the MRI to learn about the brain, right? You put You're not just learning it. it for the fun, are you? No. So brains go in MRIs, and this week we're talking <laughs> about the brain, unlike all the other weeks. What are we going to do tonight, Benny? <laughs> Same thing we do every night, Timmy. Try and take over your brain. <laughs> I shouldn't have called you Benny. I should have just called you Ben. I got confused out of which one was Pinky and which one was the brain. That is tricky. Which is fitting, given that I amazingly cast myself as Pinky. <laughs> I, I don't like the implication in that sentence, so we should probably move on. Anyway, yes, this week uh, we are talking about classic cases of brain damage and the kind of implications that they have. Um, And as we said before, some of these you will probably have heard of. The one we're going to start with is the story of a man named Phineas Gage. Uh, I think he was on QI. He wasn't on QI. He lived in like the 19th century. One of those minor um, guests. Uh, yeah, but no, uh, he's, he was brought up on QI, I feel like some time ago and probably done better justice. But anyway, uh, this is a story. <laughs> this is the story of Phineas Gage. Um, I should point out before I start, it is an almost infinitely punnable surname. Um, so easy to do so 
uh, that to do so would probably actually be kind of demeaning. So there will be absolutely no puns in this story. Really? Because I... I'm pretty sure I wrote down somewhere. I can't find where I put it. A couple of well, uh, yeah. I'm 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 banning all puns because you know it would just be kind of beneath me. So anyway, on September the thirteenth, eighteen forty-eight, Phineas was engaged in the fine American tradition of blowing up rocks for money. Um, basically, <laughs> what uh, what this involved was boring a hole into a rock, uh, filling it with gunpowder, uh, a fuse, and some sand, and then compacting it with a implement called a tamping iron. Uh, and now what a tamping iron is, is a uh, like a 13 pound, inch and a bit wide, three foot long iron rod. So you kind of, you drill a little hole in the rock and then you fill it full of explosives and then you bang the explosives with a long iron pole. Of course. And unfortunately for Phineas Gage, the charge that he was banging with the iron rod exploded. Uh, blowing the rod through his face, Ouch. which would lead one normally to think uh, end of the short story of Phineas Gage. However, uh, the incident is described by a guy called Dr. John M. Harlow, who was the f- uh, doctor who first examined Gage when he, he got back to the local town um, in an article spoilerifically titled Recovery from the Passage of an Iron Bar Through the Head. There would have been no suspense <laughs> in that whatsoever uh, in the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal. And he described the, uh, the tamping iron as an abrupt and intrusive visitor, <laughs> <laughs> which just makes it sound like a disliked uncle at Christmas or something. Um, an abrupt and intrusive visitor was, it landed 80 feet away from the point where it had been blown through Phineas Gage's face, um, smeared with blood and brain, as Harlow reports. Uh, Slightly gruesome dish, I should say. Those of squeamish disposition maybe want to block their ears and go la 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 la. Um, So, yeah, this happened. And the crazy thing about it is Phineas Gage survived. And not only did he survive, but he seemed relatively unperturbed by the experience Almost immediately. Of um, course. Uh, according to reports, he spoke almost immediately, um, walked completely unassisted, and sat upright in a cart for a three and a quarter mile ride into town, just kind of holding his head, because this did produce like a two inch wide hole. Um, the pole entered uh, under his, uh, I think it was his uh, left cheek. Yeah, so through his left cheek and up out the top of his head. And once again, Dr. Harlow describes his inspection of uh, Phineas Gage um, as follows. Mr. Gage, during the time I was examining the wound, was relating the matter in which he was injured to the bystanders. I did not believe Mr. Gage's statement at the time, but though thought he was deceived. Mr. Gage persisted in saying that the bar went through his head. Mr. Gage then got up, vomited, and the effort of vomiting pressed about half a teacup full of brain out, which fell on the floor. <laughs> which is really not very nice. Half a teacup. <laughs> I mean, I've had hangovers like that, but not quite the same. You're going to put me <laughs> off my afternoon tea. Or cake. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it took him two months to recover, uh, and he had a paraly- partial paralysis the side of his face, loss of sight in the left eye. Again, I've had hangovers like that. Uh, <laughs> what, but what's kind of miraculous is that it only took him two months, and he recovered. 
um, he had a large sort of two-inch depression on his head, apparently under which it was possible to see the contours of the brain. Um, That's amazing. Which is fascinating and crazy. Um, so this cause, this was reported by Dr. Harlow, published, and it caused a massive stir because, um, you know, with some justification, previously it was thought that if you had a two-inch hole bored through your brain, you probably were going to die. But in it, actually, in the years surrounding this incident, there were a couple of other cases of people suffering what you'd think would be catastrophic brain damage. Uh, there was a miner who survived the traversal of his head by a gas pipe. Uh, and that doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. And a lumber mill foreman who returned to work soon after a picket saw cut into his forehead to a depth of nine inches. Now... I don't think my head is much longer than that. No, I was thinking about that. <laughs> Just, um, Possibly. Do you think that these two are rather bitter that Phineas Gage is the celebrity well, yeah. that he remains? Gets, gets, all the, uh, gets all the attention. Anyway, the brilliant thing about this was these, these cases got reported like within a, a year or so of each other. And people in medical journals started to get a bit annoyed by it and started being very <laughs> sarky about the brain. So the Boston Medical and Surgery Journal, where Harlow first published um, about Phineas Gage, uh, was like pretending to wonder whether the brain had any function whatsoever and said something. It was uh, since the antics of iron bars, gas pipes and the like, scepticism is discomforted and dares not utter itself. Brains do not seem to be of much account these days. Uh, <laughs> Transactions of the Vermont Medical Society, Vermont Medical Society said, the times have been that when the brains were out, the man would die, but now they rise again. Quite possibly, we shall soon hear that some German professor is exacting it. Exacting means to amputate. Um, so, <laughs> is that casual racism? <laughs> Probably. It's quite the racial stereotype, really. Oh, those Germans always amputating things in the name of medicine. <laughs> um... So anyway, yeah, Phineas Gage survived, and incidentally, for the rest of his life, he kept the tamping iron with him at all times, and referred to it as his constant companion, um, and had it inscribed <laughs> with, you know, this is the tamping iron that shot through Phineas Gage's brain, um, which is awesome, but I kind of wish he'd used it to fight crime. <laughs> There's I, was, I was more thinking, you've euthanized your faithful companion tamping iron. Well done. <laughs> Okay, so I can't do her voice, no, but still, Phineas Gage plus Portal, and then one of the portals is just through his head. But it's, I mean, it's not quite the same. The portal is like a magic gun that shoots holes in time and space, and this is essentially an iron stick. <laughs> it's harder to Shoot solve complex bone and brain. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you, you can't jump over a pit. Of, well, maybe you could jump over a pit of lava with a, uh, a, a an iron stick. You kind of pole vault it. As I say, he should have used it to fight crime. Think of all the applications. Um, but he doesn't really have any superpowers. That's the only other problem, except possibly oh, survival. <laughs> survival is quite a good superpower, but it, it's sort of not with the healing factor that you get with people like Wolverine. So he, he, he takes damage and doesn't die, but still has the damage. It's more like it's more like the poor, unfortunate Darwin. He adapted so that when it passed through his brain, the bit of the brain that he got took out was not one that he needed to survive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he was still a better Darwin than the one in X-Men First Class. Yes. Anyway. Um, so the, that the kind of the survival, despite large chunks of brain missing, is, is like the real key thing about this, this case in terms of implications for psychology. Because um, 
it certainly began to indicate that like not all of the brain was completely vital for life. There, some people draw a link directly between the publication of the Phineas Gage case and the subsequent um, uh, rise to prominence of the lobotomy surgery, which we've talked about rec- uh, before briefly. This kind of there were a couple of surgeons in the U.S. primarily who decided that full frontal lobotomies were the best way of dealing with an awful lot of um, psychological disorders and performed frighteningly large numbers of them, um, you know, uh, in some cases completely anesthetized um, over the course of uh, years relatively recently after Phineas Gage um, was about. Um, But there really isn't any evidence to suggest that his case had anything to do with encouraging this. It's mentioned oh, like good. once in a throwaway address by one of the precursors of the lobotomy movement in that he claims he was just using to stall for time with journalists kind of thing. Um, so there's no real link there, but it is, it is an amazing case. And the other kind of side of it is that there is some evidence that as a result of this damage to his frontal lobes, Phineas Gage's personality was changed, um, which has been pounced on by lots of people. Um, the problem is, although there is sub- there has been subsequent studies and evidence and brain damage cases which have shown that, yes, frontal lobe damage can cause personality changes of some kinds, um, the, kind, the, the personality changes ascribed to Phineas Gage are generally hugely overstated and kind of completely misconstrued. Um, mm. In fact, there is... Yeah, isn't there, there stories about like him beating up his wife and stuff? Yeah, so the list of personality changes that have that was on Wikipedia, essentially, um, were drunkenness, mistreatment of his wife and kids, he didn't have wife and kids, um, lack of foresight, inability or refusal to hold a job, bragging, vainglorious tendency to show off his wound... Lying, gambling, brawling, bullying, thievery, and sexually molesting young children, which is like the douchebag dozen, and n- <laughs> none of these were true. Um, oh, right, of course. The the uh, so Doctor Harlow was essentially his physician for the rest of yeah, his life, as far as I know, and saw him a number of other times. Although he travelled a lot and got other jobs, and the personality changes described by Harlow were um, there's a few quotes the equilibrium or balance so to speak between his intellectual faculties and animal propensities seems to have been destroyed he is oh, fitful irreverent indulging at times in the grossest profanity which he is not was not previously his custom manifesting but little deference for his fellows impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires uh, his mind was radically changed so decidedly that his friends and acquaintances said he was no longer gage now this is, you know, quite significant change. It's not the kind of brawling and uh, thievery and uh, bragging and things that are mentioned later. But the point about this is this wasn't uh, a description of Gage directly after his injury, N- not even soon after his injury, not even a couple of months after his injury. This was a description of him, as far as I can tell, uh, in his last few years of life during which he started suffering extremely strong epileptic seizures. Right. Now, the, whereas prior to that, he had held down jobs um, and traveled about and been... What, 
well adjusted by all accounts had he carried on doing the railroad sort of stuff no i think he was a coach driver for a while um, okay uh, i guess if, if something things. explodes and goes through your head you're like maybe i need a different line of work yeah well uh, I, yeah maybe one with less explosives and large long metal poles um but anyway and more horses uh so yeah uh this this is kind of less less clear-cut um so a lot of people have, have tried to sort of use the, this as kind of, look, look at the crazy stuff that can happen if you have brain damage to the frontal lobes. But the case itself is not actually that convincing. There is, also, there is other um, contention over Phineas Gage himself. Um, his skull was preserved. Uh, it was uh, exhumed and preserved by, I think it was by Harlow again, after his death. Um, and is in a museum somewhere in America with the tamping iron, with the inscription and everything. <sighs> Can we go? <laughs> we should go. It would be amazing to see. Um, and so, and there are photos all over the internet where the, I, uh, hopefully there'll be a picture of Phineas Gage himself uh, holding his pole um, in the show notes, possibly a picture of the skull. There's quite famous pictures of the, the skull and the holes. Um, and there, there's been kind of debate in very recently, you know, in the 1990s and 2000s about whether it was both hemispheres of his brain that was damaged or just the left hemisphere. Um, right. So a guy called Damasio in 1994 claimed based on, uh, claimed that he'd actually suffered damage to both hemispheres. It, you know, the, the accepted wisdom of it is that it was just the left hemisphere where the pole went through. But Damasio reckoned that it was both hemispheres. However, the basis for this wasn't analysis of Gage's skull, just some other skull. It's not specifically said what skull he used, <laughs> just some random skull. Uh, so not entirely sure about that, particularly given that in 2004, a guy called Ratier et al. Um, did CT scans and a video reconstruction based on Gage's skull. Um, well, like, no, it was just the left hemisphere. Oh, that's weird, because Damasio is usually pretty good on Yeah, things. I don't know. I'm, I'm disin- I didn't, don't have very much details of that study, so I'm disinclined to kind of be completely mean about it what i am going to be completely mean about though is the fact that it took them from what was it it was like 19 uh 1980 yeah uh, oh no 1869 when dr harlow first published his description of the case and it's taken till 2004 for them to work out which side of the uh, brain was damaged Harlow did say which side of the brain was damaged in his <laughs> initial diagnosis. And do you know how he worked it out? He Had stuck, a look. No, he stuck his finger in the hole and wiggled it around. It took them <laughs> 10 years of debate and more than like 100 years to work it out using CT scans and video reconstructions. What he worked out in about two minutes wiggling his hand, finger in a hole. So, yeah. Credit to Harlow for being very pragmatic about it. Credit to Harlow, yeah. He's, he comes across pretty well out of this. There's a, um, you can sort of read the, his, his notes on the case, and he's clearly quite distressed by the whole thing, as you would be. But sort of he does it, reports it sort of very objectively and very scientifically. So props okay. to Harlow. Might be a bit of a contrast to one of the guys we'll be talking about later. <laughs> Potentially. Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, conclusions to Phineas Gage. It's a, it's a great story um he it's uh, a, a great example of kind of the resilience of the brain to damage the potential resilience of the brain to damage um it's not necessarily such a good example of personality change and frontal lobes and stuff um 
there, there, as I say, there is evidence for frontal lobe damage and personality change, but Phineas Gage is not the person to ask. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll do it another so. <laughs> time because it is very interesting. Mm. And I think there might be a clue in what Harlow said about him later on in life to, you know, the more modern understanding of uh, inhibition and disinhibition. Yeah. That's which is, it ties into actually a ton of things. Uh, so maybe we'll have a disinhibited podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I thought there was never going to be one more disturbing than the one on dating and relationships, but turns out I was wrong. Someone did ask me to do a whole episode on fetishes. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, we yeah. We elongate it quite a lot. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's Phineas Gage. So who have we got next? Uh, well, uh, apparently who we have <laughs> next is the uh, Nobel Prize winning genius and renowned zombie, Roger <laughs> Sperry. Uh, I'll explain the former before I explain the latter. Um, Sperry is the most recent man we'll be talking about today, but it was the late 50s, which is a long time ago for me and you at least, Ben. That is. I mean, I, I have difficulty remembering back that far. You know, it was back when there were commies and black and white TV that sort of business anyway uh happy days uh roger walcott sperry um for some reason decided that what he wanted to look at as a neurologist were some people who had had a procedure called a commissarectomy or mm -hmm. i think more helpfully a corpus colostomy which wikipedia <laughs> helpfully warns me not to confuse with a corpus colostomy <laughs> That's not helpful at all. Which would be disgusting. That would be deeply disgusting. A, a corpus colostomy is when you take out the corpus colossum. The corpus colossum is the rope bridge between the two sides of your brain. And by rope, I mean white matter. <laughs> in the, it's the rope bridge in the kiddies play park that is the human brain. <laughs> I like to think that the hippocampus is the swimming pool. <laughs> mommy, mommy, the... can we ride on the amygdala? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what would be the seesaw you know for some um, reason I'm thinking ventral tegmentum I can't even remember what that bit does the mammillary bodies would be the bouncy castle <laughs> oh, I'm so terrible prefrontal cortex this. would be the gift shop because it's the bit that controls the inhibition and gift shops are renownedly where inhibition fails <laughs> for some maybe <laughs> for me <laughs> Anyway, because my brain can totally not associate brain parts with fairy-go-round. Fairy-go-round? What even is I Look, look at how... <laughs> I've completely derailed you again. <laughs> yeah, with your narrow-gauge railway. <laughs> I wanted to make a joke about that, and I really couldn't chew it in. No. Also, given that Sperry is a zombie, and I'll come back to that later, uh, I think Phineas would be the perfect person to fight him if he became the zombie-fighting hero, Phineas 12-gauge. Because he, ah, oh, no, damn, you've kind of put me to the post on the joke I was going to make later, but that's fine. Um, oh, he, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he, he is a good, he is a good zombie hunter name. Like, Phineas Gage is a really good name for a zombie hunter. Yeah. Unfortunately, and it kind of proves the key element of how to kill a zombie. Well, he's not a zombie, though. He knows more than anyone about um, removing the head or destroying the brain. And he's presumably quite good at it. I like to think that he, he like, has the pole in some sort of rocket launcher arrangement <laughs> with, like, gunpowder at the end. Um, 
And there could be like a climax to the film where a zombie's about to like bite him from behind and he fires the pole through the hole <laughs> and, and takes the zombie out. And it's just like second time lucky or something. <laughs> so it'd be about as accurate to the source material as the new Three Musketeers. <laughs> Steampunk Phineas Gage would work quite well. He should yeah. have been like a cameo in Wild Wild West. You should, you should do like your next piece of fiction on like, yeah, Steampunk well, Phineas Gage. My, my next zombie. piece of fiction is Millpunk. That's close enough. Uh, it's the other elements that are the controversial part. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Sperry hadn't done this operation on these people that he had, you know, that had had the left side of the brain severed from the right side of the brain. It was some other guy whose name I didn't write down. But he and his student, uh, I don't quite know how to pronounce it. I always called him uh, Gazaniga. But. Um, Gazaniga was what I always Gazaniga. Gazaniga. Okay, uh, because he wrote one of our other textbooks, which basically proves that you have to be involved in Nobel Prize winning research to write <laughs> textbooks. Um, they didn't, didn't Rolls write a textbook? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but let's well let's uh, <laughs> leave that. We didn't have to study it for our course requirements. He That's just true. demanded that we study it. One of us <laughs> said yes, and one of us said no. <laughs> and one of us got it first, and one of us didn't. <laughs> in that essay anyway sperry uh yeah um yeah so they had these patients who as usual had uh, epilepsy most of the people <laughs> who have experimental brain cutting done on them seem to have had epilepsy and they had their left brains divided from their right brains um and so sperry tried to do tasks to establish what can the left brain do and what can the right brain do um the most obvious way of doing this was showing people pictures on their extremes of their left and right visual fields because your left brain deals with basically everything that happens to the right of your nose and vice versa your right brain everything that deal deals with everything that happens on the left side of your nose uh rather than dealing with the left eye and the right eye respectively mm. uh in terms of vision that's how it works um and they wanted to see well what what could they do could they name them uh and could they match them and uh what happened was that only objects presented to the right visual field so that's the left brain and i'm going to stop saying which visual field and just focus on which brain mm. presented to the left brain those could be named but if right. you did it the other way around presented it to the right brain these could not be named but if you had the collection of objects then on the table they could pick it up and identify it with mm. their left hand so it's so, kind of it's a little bit similar to the stuff we were talking about before about neglect about not being able to attend to it but actually sometimes being able to kind of respond to things about it except in this case obviously they can see it it's fine it's just this kind of a disconnect yeah so what this definitely establishes in terms of language is that the left hemisphere is the seat of language now, the right mm. hemisphere can identify objects just as well but it can't get in command of the bit of the brain that could tell you what they were or what its name is this we will come back to um hopefully in the second half of the podcast when we talk about some specific language stuff absolutely um but if you only remove a bit of this corpus callosum the bit that connects the two halves of the brain mm. they found that actually there is a specific bit of the corpus callosum that transfers the information to 
the left hemisphere for naming. So it's got mm. this, I mean, I can't think of a better way of putting it than invariant object concept, which is a really awkward, basically, <laughs> the, the idea, if I show you a key, there is this idea of a key, a bit like the picture file, I guess, that knows <laughs> what it is and what it does, but doesn't know what it's called. Yeah. And it has to throw it over to the left brain and go, this thing, what's this thing? What, you know, I, I know how to use it and I know what it looks like. What do you call it again? And hmm. the left brain goes, uh, hello, right brain. It is called a key. Hmm. Um, and don't worry, I'll tell the mouth to say <laughs> it's a key. I'll, I'll deal with that whole shebang. I know I you mean, two don't get on. I'm anthropomorphizing it, but it is accurate. Um, yes. And uh, so it's just that the right hemisphere does have some uh, information, um, but not all of the information. There's something that it just can't do. Um, these split brain patients showed some memory deficits, but hmm. what they didn't show was poor coordination because... At this point, the left brain and the right brain could not talk to each other, communicate any information with each other at all, and mm. yet they managed to walk fine. They didn't, you know... Uh, I don't know if you've seen the film uh, All of Me by Steve Martin. It's a very funny film in which ah, I have not. the spirit of an old woman who dies gets transferred into his body. So one half of his body is controlled by an old woman and one half mm. is still just Steve Martin and it's hilarious and he acts it so well how he gets mm. his body to do one half as a woman one half as a man uh, is amazing but you would expect to see something like that with the split at least it's like two people in a three-legged race trying mm. to cooperate but they don't seem to have a problem with that huh. um, and it's reckoned that they don't really show motor and sensory problems in really extreme cases like high-level sport that if something was, you know, a ball was coming towards you, like right in the left visual field, but you were mm. right-handed, you'd want to catch with your right hand, that you'd struggle with that. Okay. Um, sort of like backhands in tennis or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no more than I would, basically. <laughs> um, which is my standard of, are, are, are you really struggling? Well, <laughs> no. It's probably a bad way of doing it, but... No, oh, well. And that they have coping mechanisms... Mm. that unlike you know you've mentioned neglect in neglect you could easily see everything you needed to just by turning your head but because you don't know what you're missing you don't do it you don't whereas with a split brain you'll scan things by moving your head from side to side you'll pass things between the hands so you mm. can get all the information in the two separate halves in a way that you can't obviously direct across with your white mm. fiber matter but you can by you know looking at two halves or touching two things. This is why um, the uh, corpus callosectomy, or whatever you're going to call it, um, is is not actually. I mean, it sounds pretty, pretty s like severe slicing the brain in half, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's it's apparently very very difficult to tell that someone's actually had this surgery. They they present very normally. They can comport themselves perfectly well and are generally relatively uninhibited yeah um, which is kind of again this is yeah. coming back to the theme of these first two studies particularly is there are things there are sort of major damage that you can inflict on the brain and it can be you know relatively um unaffected uh what we might see um in the second half is how you can actually the, the how the reverse can also be true how you can have relatively small areas being damaged um that produce really extreme 
noticeable effects. Yeah, um, a metaphor that's just come to me. The brain is like a Death Star. <laughs> you can try and damage much of it and you won't really do anything, but there are some key areas where you can do a lot of damage. That's, that's kind of true. Also, it shoots a giant laser out the front that can destroy other brains. <laughs> I wish. Anyway, uh, also, by the way, Tim, that is your second clue, that uh, Death Star analogy for who um, is a better cross-dresser than you who also listens to the podcast. Yeah, this is the thing that confuses me because I thought that the the guy who is like the Star Wars guy wasn't called David, but am I getting confused between two people again? You definitely are. Okay, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, competition ended. I think there's two people who I keep getting confused with each other. Well, is uh, one of them Luke Skywalker? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean actually. <laughs> Are you trying to say to me that the guy whose first name is Daniel is not Luke Skywalker? Uh, his first name isn't Daniel. <laughs> exactly, but this is the thing. So you're saying that the guy that's <laughs> Luke Skywalker, not the Luke Skywalker, but the guy that we know as Luke Skywalker. No, his, his first name is Luke. Is it? No. That, but, Move on. <laughs> you're really <confused. laughs> I'm more confused than if I had a split brain. Now, um, <laughs> which is relatively not these... very confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrible analogy. <laughs> Thanks for picking. Maybe me if up. you'd had it split lo- like long, like not lengthways, horizontal ways. You should that learn all of the like damage. crazy words like coronal section and yeah. um, sagittal. Ooh, yeah. I don't even know which one sagittal is, but it sounds good. I'm a sagittalarius. <laughs> I'm the king of everything. Um. Are we not just saying things? Yeah, we're pretty much just saying things. Do you want to wrap up Sperry or is there No, more? no, I'm just about halfway through. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Rather like the people with the corpus callosum severed. Exactly. I've done, I've done the uh, left hemisphere, the ordered stuff, and I'm onto the right hemisphere, the global weird stuff. No, if you show them... <laughs> this uh, whole podcast is the right hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which of us do you think... That's a distraction. I'm going to say the thing. But I literally made that joke in the in, like one of our like pre preview things. But anyway, oh, really? um, yeah. Oh yeah. You think I would remember the things you've said, Ben? I I don't. As a result <laughs> of the feedback to this podcast, I really don't think that you anyone is listening to the things I well, say. You are the left hemisphere. Maybe they have left neglect. Yeah, there is. We the the nerve fiber pathway between us and our listeners has been severed. <laughs> Internet. Yeah. yeah, if you show the people two pictures, which is the thing I've been trying desperately to get to, and it's not work, been working. Um, if you show them that and then ask them to draw it, the appropriate hand will draw the object. Mm. But you can do some quite clever things with the crossover. So, if you show the right-hand side a chicken and the left-hand side some snow, and then you get each hand to pick a related card. So, for example, the right hand will pick a chicken's foot, and the mm. left hand will pick a snow shovel. Mm. And then you ask them, well, why did you pick up a snow shovel? Because the left hand doesn't have any access to language, only mm. the right hand, as it were. Yeah. They confabulate. They say, oh, well, I picked a shovel because the chicken coop needs cleaning. <laughs> and it's basically um, backing up the stuff we were talking about uh, last week uh, about Ramachandran, I don't remember whether it made it into the show or not, I, I'm afraid I can't remember, that the left hemisphere comes up with crazy stories. Mm. Um, 
other things they find, there are two separate attentional systems. The reason that you get neglect, in a way, it's fortunate that there's two separate ones, because if it was just on one side, you'd get complete neglect. You wouldn't be able to pay attention to anything. And I mean, it would be absolutely crippling rather than just debilitating. Mm. For some reason, there are two separate attentional systems. Mm. Uh, the left hemisphere is better at maths. And it's suggested by Sperry and um, those who worked with him uh, that they're almost philosophically different. The left hemisphere is about sequences, it's about puzzles, it's about details, and that's why it's mm. into language and maths. And the right hemisphere does global, holistic stuff, like, mm. you know, humour, music. Metaphor. Yeah. And it's maybe an oversimplification. And mm. what Sperry shows is, although there is some specialisation, there are some redundancies. Not everything yeah. is lateralised. Some stuff is kind of backed up. Uh, and uh, they even uh, suggest that it's a mark of human superiority, this lateralization, that mm. if you replace a redundant system with a specialized system, that increases what you can do with the brain of a similar volume. Mm. And Which is. Yeah. Um, Go humans. We're yeah, awesome. It is. I mean, I some people say it more strongly than that. I think it's clearly an advantage humans have, but some are like, oh, it's two completely separate brains. It's like the power of two in one. Uh, <laughs> one of the things the split brain patients uh, are less likely to do is talk about their feelings and emotions the right hemisphere is feeling them all the same but the left hemisphere is the bit that would talk about them and so that disconnect is there mm. um, and you can you can sort of see how people would come uh, become confused about you know the right brain only does this whereas the left brain only does this if there's something that both hemispheres can kind of do um only the left brain is going to be able to, to talk about it yeah which is oh yeah it's very hard to the way you usually deal with so if someone has like a a uh, a right hemisphere stroke you might or yeah anyway i, I can't be bothered to work out the yeah, exact sure. dimensions of brain damage you required to demonstrate that but yeah if if only one half of your brain is kind of eloquently able to talk about um your sort of experience internal experience then how do you know yeah and in normal normal through science is the well, answer yeah. in normal <laughs> patients it's really hard to tell because the corpus callosum is a massive connection that's mm. constantly feeding tons of information back and forth to one another so they're not like two halves of a brain you know it's like a computer yeah. system they're just as connected as they are to, within themselves. Mm. Um, but thinking about that, one of their patients called Paul S had the ability to speak with his right hemisphere. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's really rare. And it's not because he was right dominant, as in he developed the ability in addition to speaking in his left hemisphere. Okay. And so Sperry and Gazaniga had the chance to interview both sides of the split brain. <laughs> and this... Led that to is some, amazing. Some amazing stuff. They asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. I'm not sure how old he was, uh, but maybe it was just what do you want to be? What's your aspiration? Uh, his right brain, the emotional, holistic side, said he wanted to be a automobile racer, <laughs> while the left side said he wanted to be a draftsman, uh, i.e. someone who does the drawings for architects or possibly someone who draws up contracts. It's a bit different, okay. you know. Yeah. One side of I mean, wants to be solid and dependable and the other side yeah. wants to be Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, you, you can sort of interpret into the actual jobs, but the fact that they're different in itself is kind of crazy. Yeah, um, I'd love... Like, Part of me is like, I wish there was a way of <laughs> having that interview for yourself. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe if you're a flamingo. <laughs> because um, I, I remember reading or hearing somewhere, possibly again on QI, that when uh, flamingos lift one of their legs up um, when they're going to sleep, that's because the half of their body that the leg, the up leg is of is asleep. And that corresponds to the contralateral side of their brain being asleep while the other yeah. side of the brain stays awake and keeps the other leg straight. So maybe well, maybe flamingos don't have corpus callosums. The other way we test that is to inject anesthetic into one half of the brain or the other. It's called the oh, yeah. WADA test. And it's horrible. Uh, is it? Uh, yeah, it's... it's um, so the WADA test is commonly diagnostically used to identify uh, the locus of epilepsy or it's, it's involved in epilepsy diagnosis, yeah, I know. And to avoid um, taking out the language side of the brain. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's a, a, apparently a, a deeply unpleasant experience to go through. Oh right. Um, be, oh well, I that mean, rules me out interviewing either side of my brain about my aspirations. I imagine yes. it would be one side says I should be a psychologist and the other side says I should be a writer. But yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, the final bit is some further research by uh, Frederick Schiffer, uh, who studied two split brain uh, patients, and uh, they um, found obviously that the hands are probably the best way to get answers out of the different brain halves without you know teaching one half language which of course you can't really teach you can just have it developed by kind of coincidence and they had like rating pegs between like one and five mm. and you know made clear non-linguistically so that both halves of the brain were hopefully equally aware of what the numbers and whatever meant on each side mm. and uh so then they uh ask them a question and they would point hmm, that's interesting i don't know how they asked them the question but they they just <laughs> found some way about it but for example one of the patients the left brain felt little or no anger towards past bullies of the particular patient right. whereas the right brain was still really quite angry Irksome. wow and uh the uh right brain for example had quite high self-esteem but the mm. left brain thought that he wasn't quite up to the standard that they'd hoped for so this means in a practical context if you ever meet uh one of your childhood bullies try and keep them over in your like your left hemifield <laughs> division <laughs> oh and and sever your corpus callosum yeah yeah good <laughs> just quickly just quickly slice it on through and you'll be fine um and, yeah, the corpus callosum itself has separate paths within the big bundle that yeah. do different things. So if you just cut a little bit, you might take out the sharing of the visual pathway or the mm. auditory pathway. Um, interestingly, uh, the reason that we have just used human patients is that split brain doesn't work in monkeys. That really? Their brains somehow like are more inter interconnected than human okay. brains. So if you sever the so corpus callosum, you still haven't prevented the sharing of brain information I, it is worth noting that the corpus callosum whilst by far the most significant and the largest um connective pathway between the two hemispheres is not the only one yeah there are other and um, the other elsewhere. ones are pretty low down in the brain aren't they okay which and might that's the that's the reason that okay Gazzaniga suggests yeah. he says it's d you should be careful when generalizing from monkey to man mm which is uh, just a generally good principle. Yeah. Um, but basically, they, these low-down areas can carry information that is good enough for monkeys, but in humans, we've developed beyond those pathways being as useful. 
Okay. Um, so that's Sperry's theory. Just a couple of things about Sperry's life that are interesting. Sperry came up with a theory back in like the 80s, late on in his career, that is only actually now being confirmed in the last couple of years. This is the idea that each neuron, of which we have, what, a billion or something, Many. has a unique chemical ID tag. And that's really? how neurodevelopment works properly. How ah, does this I bit know to connect to this bit? It's because mm. they each have a like unique Like an IP tag. address. Basically, yeah. Uh, done by chemicals and, you know, some kind of, what would it be? Probably a complex carbohydrate, uh, okay. if I know anything about signaling, which I don't know very much about. Likewise. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's fascinating, this idea that the, each little bit of your body could have a unique identifier. Yeah. You know, essentially a name. Mm. Um, I feel... This is Dave the Neuron. He talks to Steve the Neuron. <laughs> yeah. Or Buckley. Or Spiny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and finally, his death. Uh, because both of the people I'm studying today had pretty weird deaths. Uh, I said that Sperry was a zombie. Mm. When he received the Nobel Prize, he was dying of Kuru. Have you heard of Kuru, Ben? I have heard of it, but I don't know what it is. It's a disease very similar to uh, CJD, uh, mad cow disease, which okay. is a prion, uh. an infective protein, which is really hard to deal with because, you know, it's basically smaller than a virus. Mm. Um, you can only get Kuru by eating human brains. Ah, and the largest outbreak it. was among Papua New Guinean cannibals. Yes, and that Kuru kind of spontaneously formed in someone's brain, mm. and then that brain got eaten, and so it passed on, kind of down mm. the line. Uh, and you know that there was one man in Papua New Guinea in 1900 who developed it, and mm. that's where the outbreak was. So it's been suggested that maybe it was a different spontaneous prion spongiform encephalopathy but <laughs> Those otherwise pesky prion spongiform encephalopathy <laughs> he had a bit of a bite of a dodgy brain well okay so yeah i mean the the the, the romantic ish not very romantic idea is that he ate some brain I think perhaps more likely is he works with lots of brains yeah. and maybe might have gotten through a cut or something got a bit spilled or something but the fact that the disease was in one of those brains was deathly unlucky yeah i mean wow terrible. crazy business so an unlucky zombie as well i know yeah all right that is the end of sperry quite literally so we've come to a, a good point there on the two first classics of brain science hmm. um and actually, we're in an optimal position to set up for the next two classics next week. Yes, we are. We're going to draw. So what we can do now is draw some actually semi-meaningful conclusions from those yeah, first two, which weird. is a first for us. <laughs> and uh, we will return next week with a look at uh, two famous cases within the domain of language and the, the neurology and the neuroanatomy of language. Um Broca's aphasia and Wernicke's aphasia. So you can look them up if you want to or uh, keep the suspense so we can tell you about it next week. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, conclusions. Hmm. The left and right brain. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like, very peculiarly different. And generally speaking, the brain is, can be tremendously resilient. So even if, like, a zombie gnaws off the front half of it, uh, you, you may well be okay. Like, you might be a bit 
kind of flighty yeah. and uh, I hope to see that in the new season of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Not that I've watched past the first episode because I'm watching it with my youngest brother who's ah. at uni. Apparently that makes it difficult to watch TV together. Who knew? Who knew? But, uh, um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, crazy brains. I mean, in a way, it's a philosophical thing, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and you mentioned that Phineas Gage was accused of uh, m- molesting. Mm. I've heard cases of frontal tumours that lead to yeah. deeply wrong sexual behaviour. And it is, again, it's the philosophical question. If someone has a tumour, mm. is what they do wrong? And if you, if you remove the tumour and the behaviour stops, is what, you know... So it's very interesting, this kind of brain-person distinction. Because I think there is a distinction, but it's a pretty fuzzy one. Yeah, and there is maybe kind of a band within which lies the line between sort of person and, and physiology. But yeah. yeah, as you say, exactly exactly where that line is, is uh, completely open to philosophical debate and therefore not the subject of this podcast. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> I wouldn't argue that a Sperry split brain patient had become two people. No. But you can't argue that they're precisely one united person. One, I mean, one I guess, united entity entirely. I, I guess, I mean, dissociative identity disorder is not really the space for much humour. Mm. But again, it's that same question. If someone is psychically, as it were, and I mean that in the old sense, mm. psychologically divided, as opposed to, you know, in this case, physiologically divided, mm. does it make sense to say it's more than one person within one body or something like that? I find all that stuff deeply interesting. I think so. Um, and hopefully you guys have too. Um, and mildly diverting. Um, so we will see you, as I say, next week for some more classics of brain science, uh, looking at language and cases in contrast to this week's where relatively localized and small damage causes some quite major, um, uh, kind of alterations. Um, till then, uh, subscribe and, uh, feedback to the usual places, psychomedia podcast at gmail.com and, uh, visit the, uh, website at psychomedia.wordpress.com indeed uh, where you'll see the hilarious show notes the chance to buy ramachandran's book and give us a cut uh <laughs> which is a scheme i might well be using for christmas presents this year get my parents some money back on what they're buying <laughs> um, uh what else uh tetrarch angel at tetrarch angel on twitter that's where we get a lot of good feedback do follow me uh as soon as ben has one or the show might have one but mm. that ben might you know, manage. Uh, then you will hear about you know. it, doubtless. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, if you know any Chileans, <laughs> get yep, them listening. Any, Even any if they Chilean. don't like psychology and they listen and they hate it, force them to no, subscribe. Yeah. Even if they don't speak English. <laughs> In fact, especially if they don't speak English. Well, as I say, yeah, I, I was using the Google Translator to try and come up. Actually, I am going to... Uh, just a second. Um... I am going to find the Spanish description that I'm going to try and read out of that. Uh, what, there was a description of Psychomedia in Spanish? Yes, that, that's what I spent last night writing. Oh, oh I, I see. I thought you meant someone had like written a description of it on, on the website and it, we're translating it back. But anyway. No. Um, uh, well, that can go in the show notes this week. Oh, uh, can I try reading it? It'll be go funny. On, go on, try reading it. Psychomedia es un podcast dedicado a la parte divertida de la investigación psicológica. 
Es recibido por Timoteo Swan y Felben. Hola. Es en, es en el idioma inglés. <laughs> and then sitio web, psychomedia.wordpress.com. <laughs> Suscribite a uh, feeds.feedburner.com slash psychomedia. Oh, itunes.apple.com slash cl slash podcast slash psychomedia slash id 447193697. You should have done their numbers in Spanish. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know Spanish numbers. I don't know any Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, we've just disincentivized any Chilean listeners. Hooray! Disincentivization. What a perfect point to end the podcast on. So until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Psychomedia, a Welcome to the Madness production for the internet. And now, a message from our sponsor. This episode of Psychomedia was brought to you by Gage & Sons Premium Tamping Irons, quality accessories for the safety-averse dynamite enthusiast. Here at Gage & Sons, we stock tamping irons in a variety of sizes to suit your individual tamping needs. For light rubble clearance, try the sprightly Gage 3-Gage, ideal for young children who want to help daddy with his explosives. For mid-range boulders, the sturdy Gage 8-Gage is the iron for you, top quality tamping at a value price. Or, for anything larger than two tons, try the Dominator, our award-winning high-density heavyweight 12-gauge tampered iron tamping iron. And you, for our autumn collection, introducing the Gage & Sons Tamping Iron Gauge Gauge. Gauge the gauge of your gauge tamping iron with this easy-to-use gauge. All our tamping irons come with our patented smooth-entry tapered point, ensuring you'll barely notice three-foot of premium cast iron when it inevitably gets blasted through your frontal lobes. Gage & Sons, we've got tamping irons in our heads 24-7. Man, you are so gauge. <laughs> no gay jokes on this podcast. And we're out. <laughs> okay, I'm pressing stop. Uh, yesterday, I pressed stop on the recording. Not yesterday, was it yesterday? No, day before. <laughs> <laughs>